0: How are we doing this morning? So good. So we are speaking from Exodus. My name is Ash, as Kathy said. I'm on the leadership team here. If you haven't said hi to me, come and say hi to me. I love a good chat. We're speaking from Exodus part two. Um, if you have not heard part one, go and hear it because they are chronological. Uh, you don't need to have heard the, the ones prior to hear the ones later. Um, But I would encourage you to go and listen. So I am and have the privilege of speaking on Exodus 32, the golden calf. Great. Exciting. You all look pumped. Great. As pumped as me. Um, So before we do that, before we read through Exodus 32, God said to me yesterday, go back and read from the start of Exodus. And I was thinking, it's quite a lot of words. And um, he said to me again, go and read from the start of Exodus. And Kaylee was here. Where's Kaylee? There she is. And I was literally laying on a table out there reading, (laughs) reading from the start of Exodus. Because when God says to do something, we do it. So um, what I'm going to do, I don't think that was by coincidence. I know the story of Exodus, so I don't know that it was necessarily for a whole lot of benefit. I did pick up a few new things because, you know, the word of God is living and breathing. But um, I want us to summarise what has happened in Exodus up until this point. Because maybe, maybe just maybe, some people here don't know what happens prior to the golden calf. And we need context, and we need to understand what we're reading in Scripture in order to understand the principle that God has for us. So, Exodus, just a fun fact of the day. Exodus means the mass departure of people. It's literally what the word means. So this book is called mass departure of people. Now we know what our story's about. Probably going to be a mass departure of some people. Okay, so everyone's on board? What does Exodus mean? Oh, I love fast learners. Okay, so we're in Exodus 1. If you've got a Bible, flick there. I'm going to do a super fast forward, Ash paraphrase version, okay? The Ash paraphrase is way more fun than the real one when you've got a short amount of time. So, Here we go, short amount of time. King Pharaoh comes into power in Egypt, all right? So we're in Egypt, our story is set in Egypt. He comes into power, he's mean, nasty, okay? He does not have a nice heart. The Israelites are breeding like rabbits and he's had enough. And he's like, they're gonna overthrow us. I'm kind of sick of this. Tells all the midwives, kill every boy born to a Hebrew woman ruthless okay so the midwives knew God were associated with the Israelites and decided not to kill them they just they just didn't listen love women love how they don't listen okay and they he literally he literally was like kill them and they were like no 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 so he he came to the midwives and he said why didn't you kill them they're like oh um they were having babies faster than we could get to them so they're already alive and they were like, oh, okay. So then he makes this rule. He says, all sons must be floated down the Nile. Now, the Nile is not like a nice little river. There's probably crocodiles. These babies were being sent to die, okay? Now, Moses, he's born. His mum is like, nah, he ain't dying. He is too pretty for that. And she puts him in a basket, sends him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. She's like, well, it's a baby. I don't have a baby, so I can't feed him. She sends word to go get someone, a wet nurse, that's what they would have been called, someone to feed the baby until it was weaned, okay? And then she's like, once, once Moses is weaned, she looks after him, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Moses moves cities. He ends up in Midian, and then he gets married to a pretty girl named Zipporah. I don't know if she's pretty. She probably was. And um, they have kids all as well. Everyone's caught up? Okay. Take a breath. All right. Now, Moses has purpose and plan on his life from the very get-go. This man is designed for greatness because literally the start of his story is mental, okay? And then we end up at Moses in the burning bush and his story just gets a little crazier. He's like out in the field. He's looking after Jethro's farm, which is his father-in-law, and he's like just minding his own business. All of a sudden, a bush is on fire, but not on fire, okay? And Moses, it's kind of like over there, right? And Moses is like, "Mm, never seen that before. I'll walk over and have a look at it, all right? He walks over to the bush. Here's the bush. Bush is on fire, but not on fire. I'd probably be pretty curious at that point. And then God speaks to him, and he has this big discussion with him. Moses is like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, what if people don't know who I am? What if they don't know who you are? And God's like, ugh, You know, seriously, Moses, that's what he's doing. That's what I imagine God's doing, okay? And then he says to him, I've called you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and be super awesome and follow my word and follow me. That's what you're going to do. And Moses is going, oh, that's nice, but like, I'm not really good at talking, you know, my tongue's a little slow. And God's like, mm, you're talking to the one who made your tongue.
1: And I'll speed it
0: up for you. And he's like, nah. But God, as consequence of Moses arguing with him, decides he's no longer his own spokesperson. So he gives him Aaron, his brother, and calls Aaron into spokesperson with him. So Moses now knows. He is called. He's been given his promise. He's been told what he's sent to do on his way. All right? Everyone still with me? Okay. Now. During this time, God shows Moses heaps of crazy things, turns a staff into a snake. You know, like, <laughs> just as basically like, now that you've questioned me, let me show you who I really am. How many times do we do that to God? He's like, hey, Ash, I've called you. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, yeah, probably not. <laughs> and he's like, okay, time for miracles, you know. So Moses gets told to go to Pharaoh and free the people. He also gets told that Pharaoh will have a hard heart and that God will show him miraculous signs across the land. Right, so Moses walks into Pharaoh's office, all the confidence in the world, and says, God says, let my people go or else." And Pharaoh's like, no. And he's like, "Eh, guts for you then, plague number one's coming. Okay, so then he goes, sleeps again, goes back to Pharaoh's office, hey mate. God says, let my people go or else. And Pharaoh goes, "Mm, nah. And Moses is like, "Eh, sucky time, number two. All right, back over here. Then Pharaoh's like, man, this sucks. Moses comes back. This is a paraphrase. Please read the real version, okay? Comes back over here. And Pharaoh's like, he's like, let my people go or else. God says for me to tell you this. And then Pharaoh goes, "Uh, no. Moses is like, oh, this is really starting to get boring. Okay. Comes back over here. Ten times. Ten times. Pharaoh, Egypt is, Egypt is destroyed. Like, you have to understand that Pharaoh was a stubborn man. And what I think is crazy in all of this is that literally in the text, it says God hardened his heart. So that he would perform miracles throughout the land. So that he would do a sign that nobody else could do. No witchcraft could muster up. Because that was their concern. They were saying, no, 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 our witches could do that. And God's like, "Mm, hold on. Okay. Round number three. You know? It's literally what he's doing. Pharaoh's heart, heart is hardened. It gets to the point where plague number 10 is that all the firstborn sons of livestock and children Die, which is where the Passover begins, and we know where the Passover is if you don't, go read Exodus okay, so God tells Moses to tell the Israelites to mark their doors with blood, this is this is kind of step number one for the actual Israelites, because now this is the moment where they're kind of like, well they're about to be let go you know, this is like an instruction specifically to them, and God says you mark your door with the beast that you've killed and I'll pass over your door and I won't kill your sons So Moses tells everyone, that's what they do. And then in the middle of the night, wailing could be heard throughout the land. And Pharaoh had had enough. He was like, my city is destroyed. Get out of here. Get out. And sends all the Israelites. Now we're in the wilderness. Okay? Everyone good? Everyone knows what's happening. That's how they ended up in the wilderness. Okay? And so... um, at this point, God was kind of showing off a little, you know, with how cool he is, had done some insane things, we get to Exodus 15, okay, actually just before that, Exodus 14, first kind of massive miracle happens in front of the Israelites, the parting of the Red Sea, okay, and... Um, This is is kind of crazy because the way that God even directed them was to end up at this point where he had to do something crazy for them. So he parts the sea. Moses is like, okay, people, we're going to walk through it. So he marches his army through the water. The Egyptian army is following them. They're in the wilderness. The Egyptian army is following them. And they get through. And just as the Egyptians get on the other side... God, like, closes up the sea and washes the entire Egyptian army away. Okay. You all don't seem as excited by that as I am. He literally closed the sea. <laughs> and what? Thank you to whoever said, "Wow, well, literally closed the sea and washed and made sure that there was none of the Egyptian army left. Like, All the Israelites watched this happen. Let's remember that. They watched the miracle happen. God was before them. At this point in their journey, God is literally leading them by a cloud or a pillar of fire at night. Like he's clearly in front of them. Still not good enough for them. Because they're people. We like to complain. So, then Israel starts singing a song. I won't sing it for you. I don't know the melody, but Exodus 15, lyrics, okay? They start singing this song of triumph. Then we get to mana and quail. They start grumbling about how they're hungry. Oh, we haven't had food in ages. Go listen to Jamie's sermon. He does a better paraphrase than that, okay? And the water comes from the rock. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, visits... And he's like, mate, you're you really doing yourself no favours by trying to lead all of these people. Bring some wisdom. Now, Jethro was a priest, so he carries wisdom naturally. He's been leading for a long time. He says to Moses, "Mm time to sort it out. Group your people into groups of tens, hundreds, and thousands and appoint leaders over them. So that's what Moses does. And they start this journey of like having a little more close leadership than this, just Moses, okay? So, that is still a biblical principle that we follow in our world. We have leaders of tens and hundreds and thousands intentionally, because it is impossible for me personally to have connection with 1,000 people. It is impossible for Phil to have connection with 300 people intimately. So, God appoints leaders. This is a biblical principle, okay? So, Jethro leaves. See you later. And then, Moses gets caught up the mountain, and this is where our story starts. Moses gets caught up the mountain. God wants to say a bunch of stuff to him, but he gives him instructions for the people first. So Moses climbs the mountain, instructions from God. By the way, the mountain, like, shakes, like, rumbles like thunder when God comes down on it. There are trumpets... So, so everyone in the camp would have known that God was there on, the, on Mount Sinai, okay? So they're in the wilderness, they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and, the, and literally the mountain is like trembling. I don't know about you, but if I saw Prongia shaking, I'll be out of here. I will see you later. Fight for yourself. Not enough room in my car for you. You know, like, thats I kind of would be a little freaked out. But they're all at the bottom of the mountain. They know God has come. There's a cloud at the top, and God's there. Okay, calls Moses up. So Moses goes up. Moses, go tell my people what I said. Moses comes back down the mountain. This is what God said. Now, part of that instruction was to wait. Not to touch the mountain, not to climb the mountain, but to wait at the bottom of the mountain. And then Moses gets called back up this time gets told to bring someone with him. And then he comes back down. Then he goes back up. And God starts to download from from, um, Exodus 20 right through to Exodus 32. This is all information that God is downloading to Moses. Like laws, things that will help lead their people for generations to come. It's a lot of information. So he's up there for a while. About 40 days, okay, he's up there, and the people start grumbling, and they start getting impatient. And so that leads me, now that we've recapped the whole thing, to the point of my sermon, which is we have to learn to wait well. Everybody say, wait well. well. Now, normally when I read this piece of scripture, God kind of, oh, it's it's always been read to me like a leadership piece of scripture, you know, like I've always read Exodus 32, 32 as a leadership model and comparison between Aaron and Moses and the way that they lead the people. This time, though, I was like, come on, God. Like, it's, I don't feel leadership is for our people. Like, you know, we're all called to leadership, but that just doesn't feel right. I was kind of complaining to God because I was like, oh, I got given Exodus 32. I don't know what to speak on. <laughs> and he was like wait well, and I was like, I am waiting, and he was like, wait well, and I was like, I am waiting, here I am, (laughs) and he was like, wait well, and I was like, oh, yeah, you said that three times, okay, um, I'll just start reading from Exodus, and then God said to me, literally as I'm reading through Exodus, no, that's the title of my sermon, wait well, that's that's what I want you to talk to my people about, and so I was like, oh, okay, great, here we go, wait well, and so I started reading this beginning of Exodus, if you turn to Exodus 32, let's just have a look what's happening here, so when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, "Come make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought that so sassy, this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron replied to them, "Pause there, no spoilers. don't read on." So the people are annoyed. Now, I can imagine that this just didn't happen overnight. Okay, because what happens when we're not waiting well is we become a desperate people. And desperate people will do anything to find out what is right in front of them next. Which also means desperate people are the most vulnerable to Satan coming along and going, here's what's next. That's what, that's what happens when we're desperate. Because faith-based people are okay with waiting. They're like, well, God told me a promise. He's delivered me from bondage and slavery. I've been given instructions to wait at the bottom of the mountain, so I'm wait." And they could have done a lot of things while they were waiting. They could have taught their children. They could have worshipped. They could have cleaned up their camp. They could have refined skills. Instead of doing any of that, though, they were like, Oh! Moses! Where even is he? That's what I imagine they were doing okay? And here's the scary part. Hold on for one second. It probably started with one person grumbling. This riots don't happen like bam. Otherwise, we'd probably have an overthrown government by now. They, they just don't. Riots do not engage everybody into their same passionate unity Woo-hoo! overnight. It would have started with one person in the camp grumbling that they had nobody to worship. Oh, Moses has been gone for a long time now. I haven't seen him. Don't know where God is. Turn your neck two degrees and look at the mountain. But no. I can't see him. Nothing to worship. We need something for our people to worship. Don't you agree? Don't you agree, Jamie? And Jamie goes to me, Oh, nah. Nah, I'm all right waiting. And I'm like, no. But seriously though, wouldn't it be so much better If we, and I start to try and convince and manipulate him. That's literally what is happening in the camp to lead to Aaron being manipulated. One person. So, hear me loud and clear, friends. This is our camp. These are our people. You have permission from this day forward to shut the grumbling up if it is not faith-based. If it is fear-based because somebody doesn't quite know what's going on, shut it down riots don't happen overnight this was days of people going to each other and gossiping and talking and raising up an army within themselves to do something about Aaron we need to do something about this Moses fellow that led us out here and he's up the mountain Moses is up the mountain listening to God who can put a time on that not me it ain't my job. And instead of them going to Aaron and saying, this is how I know that the intent wasn't great. Because instead of going to Aaron and saying, hey, Aaron, Moses has been gone for a while and I'm starting to get concerned. Should we send a team up to look for him? That, it's not what they said. They were like, hey, Aaron, we need to do something about this Moses fella being gone. We need something to worship. They had convinced themselves that God was nowhere to be seen and that Moses had disappeared for too long, according to them. And then that is where trouble started. We have to learn as a people to wait well. God has given us a promise. He has told us where we're going. He has taken us through breakthrough. He has released us from bondage. Now our job is to sit at the bottom of the mountain and wait Well, refine your skills, teach your children, worship, praise, pray, write a poem for all I care, but don't start things inside the camp that come from fear and are birthed from fear because you don't know where your faith went. Because I refuse to put up with that in this camp. I'm not gonna stand for it. But how easy is it to be convinced by somebody else who has concern based on fear? And let me tell you that concern doesn't always come from a heart that is malicious. It's not necessarily how it always starts. Jamie's not over here going, oh, I'm going to start a rumour today. I mean, he might. I hope he's not. It's not how he works, he's, he's, actually, he's actually going, I have some concerns and rooted deep inside of him is fear that God won't show up and bring to forth the promise that he gave to him, that's Jamie's issue, not mine, so I'm going to shut it down with faith, the only thing that can shut down fear is faith, so I'm going to go to Jamie and I'm going to say, bro, check yourself. Where's your faith at? Because my faith is in God, not the promise that he gave to me. We have to learn to wait well. God literally was going before them, beside them, and behind them, and they still had issues with where he was. We all do it. Every single one of us do it. So then Aaron responds to them. Oh, Aaron. He says... Okay, so 32.2, Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. All the people took off the gold rings. They were desperate to be appeased, desperate enough to give up the gifts that God gave them as they came out of slavery. That gold, they, they plundered Egypt for that. God literally said to them, as you leave, take all the Egyptians' gold and silver ask your neighbours for it. So they, they, God gave it to them as a gift, as a promise. I'm not sure, but he gave it to them and they were so desperate and so fear-based that they now give up everything that God gave to them, ready to be melted down in a fire. And I believe it absolutely represents a stripping of pride and they had no idea. They had no idea that the enemy had just taken from them gifts because there were murmurings in the camp and because they convinced a leader who, by the way, was not called to be a leader. He was called to be a mouthpiece. And when the mouthpiece starts leading, we end up with issues. So Aaron should never have. He should have said, hush, people. Moses would say, not, yeah, 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 take off your gold, put it in the fire. I've got an idea. I need to appease a people. Because when desperate people are coming at you, you feel like you have to do something to appease them. So he did. And he didn't do it out of, I don't believe he did it out of a heart of malicious intent. I don't believe he did it out of a heart of kind of being like, oh, I want to create an idol. I think he just genuinely was trying to get a desperate people off his back. Because they forced him into a corner. And so they take all their gold off, put it in the fire. Out comes this calf, according to Aaron. Not true. He chiseled the calf out. Now, calves often represent sacrifice in Scripture. Interestingly, though, in this case, it's not represented as a sacrifice because they weren't giving it to God as a sacrifice. They were making it as something to worship. In Egypt, there was a God named Apis. Everybody say Apis. And he was often shaped as a calf, a young bull. And he represented kingship. And prosperity and strength and fertility. And he was a God that Egypt worshipped. So they didn't fashion a sacrifice, they fashioned an idol, a God that they had grown up with, because that was all they knew. They didn't even, it didn't even register, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe uh, no one in the camp doesn't say anyone kind of was like, oh no, don't do that. There might have been people, but the majority were swayed that this was how it should be now. So they put their, their gold in. Moses is up the mountain having time with God and hearing prophetically what's coming for him, the laws of the land that will sustain them. And then God is angry. He's angry. Because he sees what the people are doing and sends Moses back down to them. Moses gets down to them, he takes the calf, he puts it in the fire, he grinds it up and he makes them drink it. Now I kind of had a laugh at that because I was like, you know, he literally turns their gold into poo. And I thought I was like, you know, I was like, (laughs) you know, that's what I was like reading it. And then I was reading some commentaries and hilariously they all say the same thing. Just in much nicer language, like, it went through their digestive tract, you know? So, but literally, like, is that not the most defiling thing that can happen to gold? And they can't sift back through their poo, because it's dust. And it would have stayed on the water for days, because fine gold dust floats for a long time. He forced them to drink it. That was Moses' first punishment, the first consequence that happened. And there are other things going on in the scripture that I want you to go and read, but today we're talking about the people not waiting well, and the consequence that happens when we don't wait well, when we create idols to, thing, to things, it's particularly idols to promises that God's given us, rather than worshipping the one who gave them to us. That's, That's what Exodus 32 is talking about. They could have stopped and waited. They could have stopped and said, no, this is too much, this is too far. No, we just wait on Moses, but they didn't. They got frustrated, they became fearful, and they didn't know when he was coming back or when God would return, and so they built a calf, most likely as a monument to Apis. They were worshipping kingship But not the king. They were worshipping the power of a God, not the powerful God. They were worshipping fertility as a means of generational blessing rather than worshipping the one who gives us generations that will receive blessing that is what they were doing and we have to be so careful that we don't get stuck in fear and end up worshipping the things that God said he'd give to us because we can't see where he's going. Desperate people are fear-based people and desperate people put themselves in a path that the enemy so quickly whispers to. We have to stand strong in the word of God. If you don't know the promise on your life, pick up the Bible. You don't have a prophetic word of where you're going, get on your knees. You can't see God, put some worship music on. You don't know what's up, what's happening, how it's going to work. You don't know how you're going to pay your next mortgage, but God said it was coming you get on your knees and you pray because he is there with you and you don't have to be concerned in fulfilling the promise. You have to be concerned with worshipping the God who gave you it. That's for us. That's for this people. Let me share a very quick personal story so that you don't think I'm just preaching to you because this is stuff that we all do, right? I'm 25, I'm single, most of my friends around me are married and have children, they settled down, have houses, and God has said to me from quite a young age, I was 14 when God gave me a very specific revelation around saving my heart and remaining in him rather than giving it away to any boy that walked by. Very clearly, he spoke to me, and he said to me, wait. And he gave me the scripture in Song of Songs that says, O daughter of Zion, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Clear as day. I'd never read Song of Songs. God told me that verse, went in, changed something in my heart. And he said to me, don't you dare waste your time on boys. You wait for the man that I have for you. Now, at 25, I'm going to tell you that waiting is hard. (laughs) And it is so easy to do one of two things. To either start to idolise and worship marriage, because I don't have it, but it's been promised to me, or to take matters into my own hands and find someone. So I downloaded this app called Tinder. You can all laugh at that. That's fine. You can laugh. It's all good. And if you don't know, it's like a dating app and you kind of swipe just based on like how people look, you know. So... Go on a couple of dates, meet these dudes. They're super lovely. Deep down in my heart, God's telling me off. <laughs> He's going, Kathy is too. Kathy was not happy. And um, and I was like, God, now this might not be the case for everybody, but God said to me specifically, Ashley Bennett, you will wait. I will bring him to you. You will wait. I have had prophetic words coming out my ears about my husband, and yet I still become fear-based that it won't ever happen or that I won't ever have what people have around me and I do one of two things I start to worship it or I take it into my own hands that's fear-based stuff that isn't faith-based and so I kind of start you know swiping away go on the state with this dude that's super attractive and really lovely and we hit it off and all is well and he's not a Christian and God says to me I don't know him and I was like yeah, I could show him um to you. <laughs> you know, you know, like you start going through all these things in your head, and I was like, oh, you know, like I was so frustrated, and God said, I don't know him. And you can't date somebody who you don't know, who I don't know. And you won't ever know them if they don't know me. Straight up. And I was like, oh, that hurts a little, because I gave my heart over to fear. I was so convinced that I had to fulfill the promise myself that I actually missed out on what God had for me. And that was intimacy with him at that time. It still is. It has to be. And I am convinced that the consequence of me trying to fulfill my own promise will be there. And I don't look forward to the day where I have to sit down with my husband and say, Look, I actually dated people before you. That sounds more intense. Went on dates with people before I saw you, you know, met you. And and that's not a condemnation thing or a guilt thing or a shame thing. That's just a natural consequence to what I did and the fact that I didn't wait. And it is so easy to do and it comes from fear. (laughs) Because fear whispers those tiny things to us in the middle of the night when you're with your friends. For you, it might not be singledom. It might be the job that you're going after. It might be the things that you see on this town. It might, be, it might be children that you've never been able to have. I don't know what it is. But our job was never to go and chase the promise, nor was it to climb the mountain. It was to wait at the bottom of it. And there is a position that we can take that allows us to wait well, and that is to wait in faith always. And if we are prepared to wait in faith, I can promise you that that journey that was 40 years wouldn't have taken 40 years. God, it took so long for God to take the people through to the promised land and even then, two of them made it. Because they didn't know how to leave the old behind and move on with faith. And they became consumed. God was doing miracle after miracle after miracle in front of their eyes, and they still complained that they couldn't see Him. And I just think we do that. We do that. (laughs) God shows us promise, shows us prophetic vision, gives us words through people, encourages us, calls us into intimacy with him, rem- like removes bondage and slavery and chains from us and we still, we still go, oh, wasn't really what I expected. I didn't expect to be single at 25. I didn't. But that doesn't mean it's not part of God's plan. When he said, wait, to me, I made up this kind of time frame in my mind. (laughs) And he was like, well, I didn't give that to you. And I was like, oh. Turns out he's going to have to be pretty flippin' awesome to come and date me. That's going to take time. The Lord's working on that. I'm okay with that. But how often do we actually, like, try and fulfill our own promises because we get sick of waiting? That's what I believe this story talks to us about. They made an idol and worshipped it because they couldn't see God and they couldn't be bothered waiting for Him. We are called to be a people who wait on God. Not the promises of Him, though they will come. Not the big miraculous things of Him, though they happen. We are called to wait on God. And with God because he is before us and he is beside us and he is behind us. And the safest place for every single one of us to be is to be in the middle of them. Walking at their pace. If they're running, it's because they've trained you to jog. If they're walking, it's because it's time to slow down. If they sit on the ground and rest under a tree, it is because it is time to sit on the ground and rest under a tree. And you're not alone. You're doing that with them. They are leading that. The Godhead. Every single part of the Godhead, an intimate relationship given to us. Connection with the Father, connection with the Son, connection with Holy Spirit. When we remain in intimacy with the three as one, we will see promises come to pass because they know where they're going and they know what they're looking for. They've seen the promise. We haven't. The worst thing we can do is become a desperate people who are desperate for fulfillment of promise rather than desperate for intimate relationship with God. That's what we're called to, first and foremost. Be in relationship with him and he will give you the desires of your heart. How often do we hear that verse? Oh, i praying for someone, oh, I really want this. Yeah, 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 God's gonna give you the desires of your heart. No, the preempt to that is remain in him, give your heart completely to him, because what will happen is he will birth desires in your heart that are from him and you will see them. It removes the ability to come up with fleshly desires when we remain first in him, because he will give us the desires and he will birth them. They will come to fruition because he is a good God, But we have to understand that every delay, every no, every fear-based question, every idol we create, there is a consequence. Not because he's mean, but because he's good and he wants to teach us. And he wants us to learn. And he wants us to know him intimately. And he wants us to be pushed into his arms. If you are waiting on a promise, don't get tired of waiting wait well. As a church, we have promises coming out our ears. As a leadership team, you have no idea how hard it is sometimes to go, but you said this. And God's like, yeah, I did. So wait, prepare yourselves, train yourselves, clean the camp, organize your tens and your hundreds and your thousands, teach your children, gather your your youth, pass on generational story, pass on story of the goodness of God, tell them, literally in Exodus God says to tell them about what they've come from to tell our children what they journeyed out of so that they understand the bigness of the promised land we are training our young people and others around us to be watching for God if we're watching for him Instead of idolizing the promise, we have to remain in him. We have to remain in him. And if we don't, God will grind that promise up and make us drink it. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop there. It'll be poo, Catherine. The bigness of what God is asking us to carry is there, but the Easiness of the yoke is already available if we remain in him. You know that song, the new wine song we've
1: sung a few times around here? Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me.
0: Everything that we have, we have because He gave it to us. And if he calls us to be an offering, we are called to be an offering. If he calls us to sacrifice, we are called to sacrifice. And in that space, he will bring new wine out of us. And we will experience a flavor of the promised land that we never have before. So we're going to pray. I'm not going to put music on. Because, you know, I don't think we need it. But I would encourage all of you to close your eyes right now. And we're just going to have a heart response time to God. He is calling every single one of us to wait well in the promises that he's given us, but more than that, to wait well in him and on him. In your heart, lay it out there. Be honest. Is there something that you are trying to fulfill yourself in order that it would be fulfilled other than and rather than remaining in the God who created it for you?
1: Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me.
0: Father, would you open our eyes to see those things that we have idolised and worshipped in place of you. would you burn them and grind them to dust we give you permission right now to holy spirit just to tap on our hearts to show us those things that we have worshipped for far longer than we've worshipped you those things that drive us into space of fear rather than living from a position of faith would we wait well at the bottom of the mountain Would our eyes be turned to you? Would they see you? Would you remind our hearts of the bigness, the almightiness of you and you alone? Would you remind us that everything that you have for us is in the palm of your hand and the only way we'll see it is to be there with you? Would you make us a sacrifice or an offering? Would you remind us that in the crushing and in the pressing, we are called to faith, faith that will release new wine, faith that will see an army, a camp, a family, move into the promises that God has for us. We love you, God so much would you remain close to us would you shine your face on us will we know the goodness of your glory all the days of our lives in your name we pray amen